0: To Christ for salvation before it's too late or else you will experience the sudden and inescapable judgment of God.
1: Self-examination is a good thing to do if it's done in the light of God's Holy Word, the Bible. If we see that our life doesn't measure up to God's standard then we should take immediate action. Confess to Christ our need of Him as Savior because we are a lost sinner. Accept his offer of forgiveness and begin a relationship with Him that will last all of eternity. This is verse by verse. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel wraps up his series of studies on the Olivet Discourse from Matthew 24. The study is entitled, No Hypocrites Allowed. Here's Pastor Steve.
0: In the words of one Bible teacher, the television networks will not be prepared... The world's leaders will not be prepared, and the false religions of this world will not be prepared. But Jesus has told you and me to be prepared. You can be prepared. You can make sure that you're ready by being saved, by being saved before he returns. Because once he comes back, it's over. There will be no further opportunity to repent The writer to the Hebrews said, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It's over then. If you die without Christ, as I said before, you will be frozen in unbelief and rebellion and carried off into an irreversible, eternal judgment. It's so horrible that there are times I find myself thinking about hell and just have to shut off my mind. It is that horrible. So the first thing that Jesus tells us about how to get ready for for his return is that we are to prepare for it by experiencing salvation prior to his return. However, listen very closely. Just as there are many who claim today, verbally profess that they know Christ, but they don't. They don't. It's an empty profession. There's no reality to their lives. No reality of Christ, I should say, in their lives. So during the tribulation... There will also be people who will verbally profess to believe in him, but they won't be his true disciples either. And because it is very possible for someone who isn't saved to think that they are saved, even in the days leading up to the time of Christ's return, the Lord now gives a second truth about being prepared for his return. In the first part, what we just studied, I believe he directs what he has to say to Unbelievers, to those who are not saved, he says, get ready for my return by experiencing salvation before I come back. But now he turns to those who who do make a claim that they know him. And he says, get ready for my return by proving the genuineness of your salvation as you wait for me to come back. Prove that you really are believers. Don't be deceived by this. Verses forty five through forty seven. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing, so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. Jesus moves from the imagery of a homeowner and a thief to that of a master And And in doing so, he gives a a brief parable about a slave who was put in charge of his master's household while his master was away on a journey. During his master's absence, it was this chief slave's responsibility to make sure that all the other slaves were taken care of, especially to make sure that they were given food at the proper time. And Jesus said that if this slave faithfully carries out his master's orders, not only will he receive praise from his master when he returns, but he'll be given even more responsibility, more responsibility by his master. Now, what is the point of this story? Well, this slave is a picture of everyone who professes to follow and serve Jesus Christ. You see, in claiming that Christ is our Savior, we also claim to have submitted to him as our Lord, as our master, you, there is no dichotomy in the New Testament that you can accept Christ as your Savior without embracing him as Lord and Master. Why would you ever turn to him to be your Savior, turning away from your sin, if you wanted to just continue in your sin? And the greatest sin is running your own life. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. This is why the Apostle Paul so often referred to himself as a bond slave. Of Jesus Christ, that's what we are. that's what a Christian is, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. But the test of whether or not we are really bond slaves is how faithful, how loyal we are to Christ in terms of obeying His word while He is physically away from us in heaven. In other words, while he's in heaven and we are awaiting him on earth, are we loyal to him? It's not your loyalty that gets you saved, but it is your loyalty to him that evidences whether you really are saved. See, true believers follow Jesus Christ and we serve him in whatever capacity he chooses for us, regardless of the task. Our attitude is, yes, Lord, whatever you say. And the proof that you are truly saved is that you are obedient to him as you wait for his return, even though you cannot right now physically see him And you don't know when he's coming back. This is the pattern that's taught in Scripture. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. These people heard the gospel through the Apostle Paul. They responded properly. 1 Thessalonians is a marvelous little letter. And Paul loved this church and they did the right thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 starting in verse 9. Paul said, for they themselves, that's others, Report about what kind of a reception we had with you. Others are, are speaking about w- what you did when we came and preached the gospel to you, he's saying. And how, here's what they're reporting, how you turned to God, notice this, from idols. They turned from their idols, and what did they do? To serve a living and true God. They turned away from idolatry to the true and living God to serve Him. Verse 10 and to wait for His Son. From heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. That's what life was about for them. They turned away from their idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's what we're supposed to do. Notice also Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Paul says, starting at verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all Men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. That's what we do. We live righteously, sensibly, godly in this present age. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of your great God and Savior Christ Jesus. That's what we do. We live Godly in this present age while we are waiting for him to return. Paul said essentially the same thing. Philippians chapter three, starting at verse 17. Brethren, he said, join in following my example and observe those who who walk according to the pattern you've seen in us. Paul said, look at us. Your life now is to be following the pattern you've seen in men like myself and others who follow Christ. And what are they to do in the meantime, they're to walk as they've seen us walk. Verse 18. For many walk, he says, for whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't be like them, he's saying, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So don't be like them. You follow us. Then he says, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power which he has even to subject all things to himself. He's simply saying that be godly as you wait. There is an end coming. So, folks, the genuineness of your salvation is tested by the way that you Live today in the sense that while not knowing when Christ is actually coming back, you nonetheless are passionately concerned about obeying his word. And you know what happens to those faithful servants when the Lord does return? According to Jesus, the master in this parable, who represents him, will give this servant. Even more and greater responsibilities upon his return. Which implies that when Christ returns, he will reward true believers who have faithfully served him in this lifetime with greater responsibilities to serve him in eternity. Amazing. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, we'll see that the Lord will say, if you've been faithful in little, I'll give you more. Your faithfulness on earth will be rewarded in glory, in some type of serving capacity. What that will be exactly has not been revealed. We know we'll rule with him exactly all that this involves. We haven't been told, but no doubt it will be thrilling and incredibly joyful to serve Christ in the eternal state. But I want to show you something else that's not in the text, but it's so wonderful. I wanted to share this with you. What awaits servants who have been faithful to Christ when he comes back. I want you to see Luke chapter 12. This will warm your heart. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 35. Jesus said, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps on. Means always be ready to serve him. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come up and wait on them. On this occasion, Jesus was speaking about his return. It's a different occasion, but it's the same theme. He's speaking about his second coming and being ready. Here he reveals what he is actually going to do for those servants of his who were waiting for his return and had been faithful in serving him while he was away. Now, get this, get this. Jesus said he's going to gird himself to serve and have them recline at a table and he'll come up and wait on them. Did you get that? In other words, when the Lord comes back, folks, he's going to serve us by waiting on us. Amazing. Based on on these verses about slaves warmly welcoming their master home from a journey, the master in turn then serving them, Bible teacher Kent Hughes, who is so great at at language and expressing himself, paints a very vivid picture here of what he imagines This precious scene will be like when Christ returns. I read this to you. He writes, what a lovely scene greeted the returning master. Warm light streamed from the windows, breathless, smiling, eager servants, bearing shining lamps gathered at the door. No doubt there was a choice nocturnal snack on the table. He said, my revisionist mind imagines peanut butter, cookies and milk. Welcome home, master. We're also glad you're back here. Give us your robe. Sit down. Let us wash your feet. You must be so tired. Hughes continues. This was lovely indeed, but even better was what happened to the servants. Jesus went on. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. You see, the master was so moved by their faithfulness that instead of sitting down at the table, he dressed himself to wait on them made them recline around the table and serve them. What joy is portrayed in this night feast. The girded, bare-legged master, setting dishes before his servants, refilling their cups, happy, even uproarious conversation floating from the well-lit house. Folks, as amazing as this sounds, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be for Christ's followers When Jesus returns, our Lord is going to serve us just as He did with the apostles in the upper room when He wrapped a towel around His waist and washed their feet. He's going to wait on us and serve us with His own scar-marked hands. What grace, what warmth, what, what humility, what love, but this is our Savior and we love Him for it. As we welcome him home, as his grateful servants, with outstretched arms, he stretches out his arms to serve us. What grace. However, not everyone who claims to believe in Jesus is really a true and faithful servant. And the test of the genuineness of one's profession of faith in him can be seen in the way they conduct their lives while Christ is not physically seen by them, Notice what Jesus goes on to say about this kind of person in contrast to his true servants. Verses 48 through 51. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when, which he does not know and he'll cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, in contrast to the faithful slave who represents all true believers in Christ, this unfaithful, this unfaithful slave represents all unbelievers, but not just unbelievers, unbelievers who claim to be believers. They say that they are slaves to the master. They claim to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But the proof that this is just an empty Claim that they're really not his servants is seen in the attitude and the behavior of this particular slave in the parable. Notice we read that he reasons within himself that since his master is not coming back for a really long time, then he can just do whatever he wants to do. And so he starts to abuse his authority. He mistreats his fellow slaves. He becomes gluttonous and a drunkard. In other words, this man man may claim to be a servant of his master, but he's not. It's so obvious he's not, because when the master is absent, this guy does whatever he wants to do. Not what the master told him to do. Folks, this is the way it is with every person who claims to believe in Jesus, but really doesn't know him. They prove that they have never been converted by their ongoing lifestyle of unrepentant sin. Instead of living to do God's will, their lives are Characterized. I don't mean that they fall occasionally, but characterized by self-willed rebellion to the word of God. Now, we need to understand that this parable is not teaching that every professing but false Christian is going to be guilty of being violent or getting drunk. That's not what Jesus is teaching. What he is teaching is that false believers end up indulging themselves in whatever sinful pleasures they feel like indulging themselves in. And why do they behave this way? Because they think they can get away with it. They're not concerned. The Lord's not here. They don't care about consequences. They're not thinking about eternity. They think they have plenty of time to do whatever they want to do without the fear of judgment coming soon. In fact, maybe in their minds they think it'll never come. But Jesus says in verses 50 and 51 that the master of this slave will return. And he'll return on a day that the slave doesn't expect him. And in the words of Jesus, he will cut him in pieces, which means he will deal with him in severe judgment and assign a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Instead of the blessing that comes upon true believers when Christ comes back, the Lord here reveals that he will severely punish false but professing believers when he comes back. He'll treat them as the hypocrites they really are. They are hypocrites because they claim to be his servants, but they are not his servants. In reality, they only serve their own desires and flesh. Upon his return, he said he'll treat them harshly. He'll cast them off into an eternal judgment in hell where there will be continual weeping and gnashing of teeth, which speaks of unrelenting suffering and pain. Now, folks, don't miss the point of Christ's teaching. While he's away, he tells us there are two things we need to do. We need to do these things to make sure we're ready, make sure we're prepared for his return. First, make sure that you've experienced salvation. Have you? Do you really know him? Because you don't have all the time you think that you have. Christ is coming or he's ending your life at an hour when you don't think it'll happen. So repent of your sin. If you've not already, trust him to be Savior and Lord today before it's too late. Secondly. Be ready for his return by proving that you really belong to him, that that your conversion is genuine. If you don't see any fruit in your life, if you're not interested in, in obeying the word of God, then you are not saved. The evidence of salvation is a life that desires to please him, to live according to the word. If you claim to be a Christian, but have no interest in being faithful to Christ by obeying his word, you think you can live any way you want, you don't care about the consequences, you'll take them, then like the slave in this parable, you are a hypocrite. Because you say one thing, but you live another way. You live another way. Turn from your hypocrisy to Christ for salvation Before it's too late or else you will experience the sudden and inescapable judgment of God. Now you may think you can get away with whatever you want to do. But there's coming a day that a day that you don't expect to come. That Christ is going to break in and he'll deal with you in judgment. So repent while you have time. And for those of us who are his true followers, you know what I say? Keep watching. Keep being faithful. Be eager to see him because when he comes back. It's going to be the most joyful reunion there will ever be. It really will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for loving us enough to warn us. I pray, Father, for anyone here who still has not come to Christ. They've not opened their hearts To you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you will work in their lives, bring them to a point where they will open their hearts. I pray especially for those who claim that they believe in you. They claim that they have surrendered their lives to you, but they have not. I pray that you'll help them to not continue in this deceitful condition. May they see their sin so clearly. May they see their hypocrisy and turn from it and not be comfortable in their unbelief. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who are your servants, who who we do, by your grace, evidence salvation, I pray that you'll encourage us. Life is difficult. Life is hard. There's so much pain in it. But help us to remember that, as that hymn says, it really will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Help us to keep in mind that you will Greet us with love and you will tell us to sit down at some point and you'll serve us. Lord, you don't have to do that, but you will and we'd love you for it. And so we say with Peter, whom having not seen, we love. Lord, may you continue to burn in our hearts this love for you and a loyalty to you even when we don't know when you're coming back, and we've never seen you physically. We don't know what you look like, but we love you. We pray that this truth will will continue to warm our hearts, even as we say, come Lord Jesus, we're ready. We pray this in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Pastor Steve, for this great series of studies. We have learned so much about events that will take place during the tribulation period following the rapture of the church. This study and many more are available to you free of charge at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Please avail yourself of these helps in your walk with Christ. And my friend, if you have any questions regarding your own spiritual condition before God, please feel free to call us at 727-239-0306. That's 727-239-0306. We would love to take the Bible and show you how your questions can be answered. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. It is sustained by the gifts of interested listeners like you who have been blessed by the daily studies. Would you pray for this ministry? We depend greatly on the prayers and gifts of God's people to keep the ministry going. You can give online at versebyverseradio.org, Or by writing us at Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you for your help. Until next time, when we'll begin a new series of studies, I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Many people have heard the verse, "Faith as small as a mustard seed can move a mountain." And it's incredible what God does with small steps and acts of faith and obedience. We can think of how Moses' parents trusted God so implicitly that they set baby Moses in a
0: basket and put him in the Nile River, believing that God would care for him.